0: Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 289. Today is the 12th of August, 2018. And this interview is with Merrill Brown. Merrill's the founder and CEO of The News Project, a startup helping to make news and newsrooms better and more affordable. With a deep background in media, Merrill is on the board or advisor of many notable organizations, including the City University of New York's Graduate School of Journalism and Go Local 24. He's also principal at MMB Media, strategic and management consulting firm for media and digital businesses. In this conversation with Meryl, we look at the news project, the challenges and opportunities for media companies, how brands could be taking advantage or adopting the same mindset, and much more. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Merrill Brown, thanks for coming on to the show. Um, I had the good fortune of hanging out with Crystal Gurin, who I know is working with you. She got to telling me about your wonderful new project. I must say that having looked at your profile, you have an enormous... Wonderful and lustrous background. So maybe you can also share some of that because it just there's a lot of fascination within that. But Merrill, tell us who you are in your own words and uh,
1: what you're up to. Pleasure, Mitter Thanks for having me today. Um, I am the founder and CEO of a new thing called the News Project. Uh, we started it late last year. We came out of our quieter, stealthy mode in the spring. Um, our goal is to create a news publishing platform. That will make it less expensive and less daunting for people to either upgrade what they're doing today in news and information or, more importantly, even launch new sites. Uh, Our overarching philosophy is that one of the solutions to the news problem we all face these days uh, is we need more news. We need more investment in news, and we need that investment from both commercial and philanthropic sources, and it's getting more and more complex to build news and information properties especially around questions like paywall and so forth, and entrepreneurs and NGOs and family offices and people of means and journalists and entrepreneurs, uh, many of whom are interested in all this, we're trying to simplify the process for them so they can uh, come in to support news and journalism that requires that new level of investment I just spoke about.
0: Well, surely, Meryl, it's also, and it's what's implicit in that, the lack of people wanting to pay for it on the other side. So there's this notion of it's expensive to hire individuals, especially with background, you know, bona fide journalists set up these uh, big news desks and big investigation cameras and so on and so forth. And yet on the other side, we have this challenge of making it worthwhile. And so how, how do you feel that the news project is solving for that problem? Because you say we need more news, but we also need to have more buyers who are prepared to pay.
1: Right. So first of all, the, the the entire model not just the who's going to pay for it part needs to change. And by that I mean no more big investigations, no more uh over um staffed um ink drained um ink stained I should say, uh paper trucks, all of that. This largely in the future is largely about small newsrooms. It's about 6, 8, 10, 15, 20 people really owning a topic or a place or a community. And if you think about the economics of that versus those of, say, for instance, a daily newspaper, 6 8 10 people uh, don't require the level of financial support that big newsrooms do. And at the same time, we're at a turning point, uh, most people think, about consumers willing to pay for things they really care about. So if you think about just take uh, something like water, Um, The world of water has millions of people contributing to philanthropic organizations, NGOs, identifiable audiences, and if in all the communities in the Western world of people that care about, say, water, if we can't get 50,000 of them to spend $2 a month to get great coverage of water, then there's something really missing in our information processing. So $2 a month times 50,000 people is $1.2 million a year. That's enough to support a right-sized newsroom if, in fact, you've pulled the technology challenge out of that and allowed people who actually know how to manage technology and build it, like our team, to handle that for you. So, A, we're trying to change the economics so, in fact, smaller numbers of people can support meaningful news organizations. We're trying to bring down the cost of operating those news organizations at the same time. And we're trying to bring a new set of um, approaches to how one deals with news where it's not just editorial and pure editorial but it's also product development If you ask most journalism organizations about the phrase, a phrase you know well and I know well, product development it's not really even in their vernacular we've got to make that change too so they properly think about what they're producing every day, not just as words on the screen, but also a product that needs to be marketed properly and so the the final point I'd make about this is I think we are at a point where people are comfortable paying. You and I can remember the days not that long ago when people said, I'll never pay for music. I'll never pay for video. I'll never pay for this. I'll never pay for that. People are now accustomed to paying for things. Whether it's a $0.99 song or a $9 Spotify subscription or a $10 Netflix subscription, this is now normal for us. We now subscribe to things, not just in the United States or UK, but throughout the world in a way that's vastly different than historically is the case. So we have smaller audiences. We have more of a preponderance to pay. And I think we're getting to a point where we can make all this work. If I So the
0: first point that I wanted to unpack in that was this notion of a niche at some level. You, you mentioned the word water or the subject water uh there's an element uh, behind them i'm in mean, sort of interpreting that because it's a specialization and a specific area of deep interest for some people that then they are more likely than to want to read about it and want to pay for it that's the sort of and then the other side of course is typically local news but things like the panama papers and large and you know i would say almost industrial level amounts of investigation where they rely on the icij to the Consortium of International Journalists, to come together. This isn't antinomic with that situation. It's just more about finding an economic model on a smaller, valorizable zone.
1: I I think that's right. That's That's a good way to put it. These zones, these underserved zones, by the way, you know, another one of our operating principles is that for all the hoopla going on in the U.S. about the New York Times and the Washington Post and their return and investigative journalism and Trump and Russia and all that. Beneath all that, if you unpack all that, to use your phrase, uh, from the reality of the moment is a whole lot of what they're doing is grossly inadequate. Their coverage of environment and education and race and housing and we could go on and on and list those things. Big publications in the United States aren't doing those things particularly well today and we have enormous Needs for information about undercover topics. We can get to some of those. So, our first pilot project is a site about opioids. Opioid story is a big story here in the United States. It's a big story in a lot of places. It's not particularly well covered. It's almost always framed as the tale of a lower middle class, um, uh, a, a white working man and his troubles facing the dif- difficult world he or she faces. And the story is that not that that's not an important and meaningful story, but the story is much broader than that. It involves pharma, it involves regulation, it involves politics, it involves multiple demographics, not just lower cl- uh, middle class white people. And the story is being told badly. So with a family foundation that supports this topic, we launched a site called Opioid Watch. It's very, very good. It's the only site in the U.S. that we could identify dedicated to the coverage of this crisis. And it's an example of the kind of work that's not being done as well throughout media as we'd like it to be. When you
0: mentioned before in music and video these new business models, uh, most of them were subscription-based whereas the 99 cents is more of a one time shot for one piece of music that business model does not include advertising question mark
1: or it your mind does it would depend on the topic you know we think everybody's business model depending on your vertical or your geography or whatever has to vary and that's part of what we're going to customize so if you're doing a site about energy you may be in a better position to solicit national advertising or regional advertising for that than if you were doing a site about, say, race. So part of the business model challenge is getting it right about your vertical or your geography or your community, and that part of this can't be cookie cutter because of demographics and interest levels and size of audience and so forth.
0: So if we look at the issues of media, because as we were saying before we, we started recording your project is beyond just making media for, for journalists and media companies. It's about solving the problem of journalism and the, the role of journalism in society, as I understand. When, when one talks of the issues, and maybe you can reframe them according to the way you see it, but the issues of journalism include this advertising business model that tends to be all about eyeballs, and, and gets us down the wrong garden path, because behind the eyeballs is things, phenomena of inaccurate news and other things, not to name it. And, and yet the subscription model has another challenge, which is you pay for what you want and you live in your little garden with your own news about the things in your viewpoint that count to you. And and it seems that that's one of the challenges. I don't know if it's only in the United States, but that seems to be another challenge. And so, how do you how do you think we can compensate or deal with that problem with the the news project?
1: Well, I don't. I mean, I think it's pretty clear the model of the all encompassing regional daily newspaper probably is not a model that can be saved. And you know, I, I if, if people. Um, If people regard their civic responsibility as involving news and information, I think we can get around that problem. Some of it has to do with media literacy, some of it has to do with literacy, period. Um, But to, to depend on the local daily newspaper to bring us everything, and to assume, by the way, that the local daily regional newspaper actually ever was delivering that much news to people is a whole other questionable matter. I mean... Uh, studies indicate why, uh, uh, that people bought local daily newspapers for lots of reasons, including classified ads and car ads and real estate ads and so on and so forth, and not necessarily to find out about City Hall. Um, the data is pretty clear on that, that the City Hall section or the local section was among the least read, and that's just not how people typica- typically get their local information. They get it from much more discrete sources, and there are more and more of those being developed throughout the Western
0: world. So at one level, the news project is is catering to people who want to start up news desks and presumably also to legacy media bureaus that want to sort of become a little bit more flexible and agile and cheaper. You also mentioned a family office, if I'm not mistaken, in the opioid story. It makes me think, well, how does one get your project out to a civic level that you're mentioning because you let you can go in and talk to journalists and most of them are going to nod and say yeah yeah, of course you got to do that but at some level you need to then also advertise or somehow get out into the other world to explain your civic duties to them
1: well we will never be able to afford to advertise broadly to them right or certainly not in the um, immediate term this is about thought leadership and you know we're having a increasingly robust discussion in this country about the future of news thankfully a lot of that is a, a result of the november uh, 2016 election in the united states but it's also a result of, of other things that have happened since then including the quite obvious shrinkage of daily newspapers and the consciousness about all that is rising and you do see more and more moguls stepping up like Bezos at the Washington Post, John Henry at the Boston Globe, etc., and realizing the civic opportunity that owning a daily newspaper creates. There's more and more entrepreneurship going on in local journalism in a whole lot of places. Now, those, those entities are largely challenged, but there's a pretty robust independent journalism world developing. You mentioned ICJ and what they've done in, with Panama Papers and so forth. And there's a lot of that going on, and it's underserved by technology. And that's one of the things we're trying to get to is this independent, in many cases, although not in all cases, nonprofit news business, which is um, at a really important moment of time. And if we can improve their prospects by giving them more flexible technology capabilities and the ability to cleverly... Um, And um, and quickly charge people for what they're doing. We can help that part of the movement as well. So there's thought leadership. There's a growing debate going on. People are getting smarter about all this. People are starting new sites. It's time to accelerate that and help them put the pedal to the floor.
0: So I, I don't want to be I don't know if the term is correct. Geographist, in other words, an ist with regard to geography. But I have to imagine that we're talking bi-coastal interest in this particular topic, as opposed to the center of the United States. Tell me, tell me I'm wrong.
1: Well, Flint, Michigan is in the center of the United States. They have a water problem. Uh, people are facing all sorts of problems in public education that doesn't isn't defined by geography. Uh, I mean, you may want to make an argument that there are topics like some I've mentioned already, race and environment, that are coastally focused. Um, but there are also uh, Main Street topics as well that are really important. What's, what's happening to public works in this, in this country is a topic that touch, touches a whole lot of people. Um, generally, education is poorly covered in this country, and we have a variety of different education crises, especially affecting public education, that people in, on Main Street really do care about. So, you know, I think some of the support for what we're doing is certainly going to be coming from the coasts, as you as you put it. And it may be geographically centered, but I hope not. Well, I we're would... talking to people. We're talking to people at newspapers and um, uh, with organizations throughout the country we're, we're, er, the early input here is not um, geography facing.
0: Well, um, I sort of maybe it was a little bit facetious at some level, but I was thinking more of the liberal leanings. And the different approaches to journalism, as as the way it's playing out in the United States, anyway, with regard to the foxes of the world, and also I'm thinking of Silicon Valley and the and the the uh, opportunity for funding that can come from those the folks in Silicon Valley. That's sort of where I was going with that thought.
1: Well, you know, Silicon Valley uh, has had a wake up call on this topic. Um, uh, the investment community, um, I, I once struggled to have. Uh, coherent conversation with the investment community about this topic until, uh, for better or for worse, fall of 2016. And with the election of the president, and many of them stunned by it, and many of them realizing the role the media played in the election of Trump, they've had a bit of a wake-up call about the limitations of our current news and information diets. And they all want to talk about this. I mean, the easiest thing that I have going for us right now with our company is that lots of people want to talk about this. Now sometimes they want to rant about how the how could the New York Times have elected Trump or I love that Sean Hannity or I love that Fox personality or I hate that Fox personality. But lots of times that's a door opener in the conversation to, you know, you really can do something about news and information in this country. And here's how.
0: One of the you know, in my my sort of center of interest is typically around consumer brands and branding and and uh, a topic that we often talk about is the ability to create content and valuable content and uh, and the idea within that content is that not just to talk about me and my products we mentioned product development before but to think about areas of interest for my consumer base my client base and to create and provide content that's going to be valuable to them so in in that this world in marketing offices around the United States or actually around the world, brands that are commercial entities selling other goods and services should be considering creating content. And I'm just wondering how, A, is there a link up the brand should be doing with you? And maybe it's because I'm interested in water. I I sell water like I'm Danon or, uh, you know, um, or Nestle. And I would have a specific, you know, obviously commercial link into you. I can have other ones that have a, a political bias in what they stand for. I'm Ben and Jerry's and I stand for peace and love and I want to invest in, in this. And then the other one is, can the, the news project be a platform used by brands, I'm thinking?
1: Well, part of our scaling strategy, which is important to um, investors, is that we do reach out to brands. After all, what we're building is a news and information architecture which to a brand could have significant value when they're doing pop-up sites or when they're doing uh, extensions of what their uh, core strategies are. Uh, The news industry also sees that as value too. a large newspaper company in the United States, uh, although they don't necessarily need this for anything related to their publishing of daily newspapers, They're creating within their um, corporate frameworks agencies, as you know, and more and more news companies are performing agency-like functions for their advertiser customers, and yet their core tools are incapable because of their gargantuan scale of launching pop-up sites or new projects or new initiatives for their agency customers, and our tool would be excellent for this. Low cost, easy to use, uh, scales quickly, uh, uh, can handle audience, understands social media, etc. So as a commercial tool, we think we have lots of opportunities as well. But also, there are lots of brands out there who are thinking philanthropically about this topic, either through their foundation arms or through their corporate core. And if they're interested in water, they are potential underwriters of a new site on water policy. Um, You know, we'll insist on some level of journalism commitment there, and we'll have a Code of Conduct, in the context of what's going on here with Facebook and Google, this is a tricky subject, to be sure, but when the bigots come calling, we hope we'll be able to exclude them from what we're doing.
0: You touch on a topic which is underneath a lot of this, which is the ethics that are involved and the separation between the editor and the publisher, and somehow that wall has been evaporated. Of in these, some
1: ways for the better, in some ways for not.
0: Right. I, I completely... I mean, anyway, let's, let's agree that it has crumbled. Then uh, the, the notion I'm lo- looking at is this notion of ethics. And it, it strikes me that the journalism, the world of journalism, is at the forefront of this notion of ethics. What do we stand for and how do we still make money without being a prostitute to that money?
1: Well said, uh, so, I mean, so so the, the breakdown, if you will, of church and state, uh, publisher and editor and all that is something I've been championing for decades because the idea that the various parts of a news organization didn't talk to one another is on its face preposterous and one of the reasons the industry got itself in so much trouble. So having publishers and editors collaborating about product strategy and business strategy and so forth is something that should have been done long ago and we're getting – Better at that, although walls still exist in some large news organizations, at least over here in the United States. Um, th- this needs to break down so that there is constructive dialogue, while at the same time, publishers and editors need to respect one another, and publishers need to understand that coverage can't be bought. And it really is, it really is that simple.
0: It's very, in, in my world, I deal a lot with working with influencers, So influencers have distribution. That's what they have. They have a platform towards a a population and brands go to them and try to buy them. And the challenge with that is that the influencers' integrity is then put into question in front of their platform. Anyway, so I don't know if that that rhymes with you, but I I think of the, the, the challenge that brands have in trying to create smart content that elements their brand without being just running after eyeballs and running after conversions to sell and and finding that nice balance between providing value and not immediately looking for return on investments.
1: Uh, that, that is that is a challenge that brands have, to be sure. But I think it's the case, whether it's the rather obvious Ben and Jerry's example or others, that more and more brands are taking their civic responsibility seriously. And as I said at the beginning, if you're a corporation or a family office or you're a person of means or you're an entrepreneur – Getting engaged in this category of human activity is really important in the world we live in, and it can't be shuttled off to a monopoly newspaper publisher any longer because that model is not going to be here to support it.
0: Well, in, in an upcoming episode, I'm going to be speaking with a woman called Latia Curry out of California, and one of her whole gigs, she's journalisting journalist in the background, is to help brands become more political and, and learn how to become more political, which I completely subscribe to. So Merrill, when you look at the state of media, we have the US phenomenon, which seems to co-opt most of international front pages as well, thanks to Mr. Trump. But if you look at the way the media is being played out, what do you see as being examples and good practices that America is able to maybe export within media and vice versa? What do you see overseas? Any examples that you think are shining lights of how media should be working and can be brought into America?
1: Well, for instance, there are a number of people in uh, in Scandinavia and Western Europe who are well ahead of us in getting people to uh, subscribe to digital publications. And there are many examples of this, and uh, you know them, and um, uh, especially in, uh, in Scandinavian countries. But over here, I think what we're doing that's particularly interesting is the development of Regional sites that have real meaning to new definitions of of geography, I guess. For instance, you probably know the Texas Tribune. Um, Texas Tribune is excellent. It's supported, it's not for profit, it's supported largely by events and philanthropy, but it's redefining how you think about Texas. There's a publication I'm very fond of in the United States called The Bitter Southerner it is trying to create a sensibility about journalism in what its editors would call the new South. There's a publication in, uh, out of Sacramento, California called Cal matters, which, um, uh, claims to be, and may well be the best publication in, um, California covering politics and policy. And, you know, obviously the story of California right now, whether it's about immigration or climate or a host of things is fascinating. And, the California congressional delegation here has, um, enormous opportunity and possibility in it in the sense of what people are describing as the potential to flip the House of Representatives. So region is a new and interesting and important thing here and how it's defined. And then there are these, you know, vertical topics. The, the best coverage about climate in uh, this country is often delivered by a, an organization called Inside Climate News. Uh, it's 15, 18 people in a building in Brooklyn, New York. They won a Pulitzer Prize for their coverage three or four years ago, and they are a model for lots of people about what a small publication digging into an important vertical topic can do with focus and quality reporting. Um, so I would I would hold up those two models as new, different, and important. One, the highly targeted vertical category focus, and then the defining what a region is um, and, and how to think about that re- region in its own uh, political and journalistic terms.
0: Well, it, 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 the, the way I was interpreting that as you were speaking, Meryl, was this notion of having a mission. Whereas we have a sort of a broader journalistic mission, what is interesting about what you just explained, in each case, there seems to be a specific type of purpose to their journalism that maybe can be linked back down to a reviving a territory like Texas or reviving or changing the image of Texas. It makes me think of um, the CEO, I think it's the Detroit Electric Company or whatever they are, sort of monopoly. But what the CEO did there is he said, well, we need to help Detroit get back on the map. And that's going to be our mission. Yeah, sure, we're going to provide customers with whatever infrastructure or you know, electrical utilities we want to provide them with. But we have this other mission. And I think that that notion of a mission, amongst other things, uh, can help compensate for the fact that I have a small paycheck. Because when I'm in journalism,
1: <laughs> right.
0: you don't have that. But if you can feel like you're doing good as well, which yeah. if it's only about getting eyeballs and it's not good, that's just sort of like yeah. chasing money.
1: I had a very similar conversation with a, a news industry consultant uh, last night, as a matter of fact, and one of the things he was saying is that he's, he's tired of the conversation he always has with newspaper editors who, who tell him, you know, we're going to fix this thing by creating better journalism, as if that's that general overarching mission is enough to create product customer wealth. It's, it's so rarely, what does my community really want, and what should our mission be, and what are the things we're really going to focus on? And how are we going to make this product more user friendly and all that if we just do great journalism now flock to us? Well, I think we have a lot of proof that that's not really necessarily the only and right approach. Hmm. So that mission mission is important, which is my point.
0: Right. Right, And 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 very focused
1: on that mission is particularly important.
0: That's it. Not just a big, broad one, because everyone everyone wants to make money. Everyone wants to do good. Fine. But what specific area? So let's go back my last area of investigation per se was journalistic journalism schools in in so many cases students are graduating from university and they're just not equipped for this new world they may be geeky and gen y or gen z they know what all these these new medias are from using them as persons but they're not equipped for the new world and i can just imagine that journalistic schools being taught by journalists or professors who may not even be a journalist by background are trying to teach new kids to do journalism what do you think is the necessary, the, you know, what needs to happen in the curricula for journalism schools today to get with the program?
1: Well, I've, I've, as you may know, I've been involved in that topic for a fairly long time now. And the bottom line is that journalism education traditionally is teaching um, a student to be really good at one thing. And, you know, this sounds somewhat trite, I guess, when I say it, but it's true. You came out of journalism school being a great shooter or a great writer or a great daily newspaper person, or a great magazine person, or really good at radio. And of course, no one of those things is sufficient any longer, because the person with the notepad and pen also has to have a smartphone that records, and you then have to be able to ask the right questions to frame an audio discussion, and you have to go back and edit that audio, and you have to use that phone to shoot, and the people who are getting hired these days are people who have multi-platform skills, And, you know, maybe that's self evident, but it's taken journalism a long, journalism education a long time to get there. And it's really an important overarching point. And the students coming out of uh, the City University of New York Graduate School of Journalism, a school I helped start and on whose board I sat, get that broad training. And they may not be really good at everything, but they're going to be competent at everything and they're going to be really good at more than one thing. And that's the bottom line. And I know from my, Friends who hire, that's what they're looking for, that even if you're going to go to work in a control room at a big television operation, you need to also understand how to deal with video on your Mac. And you also need to know how to write. And no one of these skills is going to be sufficient anymore for a a journalism career.
0: All right. Last question. Coding and data journalism. What is your opinion, and how is the news project trying to help facilitate that too? Do you believe in data journalism per se as a category, and to what extent is that something that's viable and easier through the the news project?
1: Well, we need to we need to give people uh, some of the simple tools to do the basics like mapping and charts and all of that, and we are we are doing so, and that will be very simple. In, uh, in various versions of our platform technology, it is exceedingly important. Now, uh, I say that somewhat cavalierly. Not everybody can do it, but everybody's got to get smarter about it. And there are lots of conferences and online news seminars for people to do that. And data it is almost, at the best journalism schools, a mandatory uh, component of their education. So the kids coming out of good journalism schools who are thoughtful about this are generally ready to go, at least at the beginning levels. So very, very important, critical to people like ProPublica who do it on a significant scale, and what they do in data journalism is certainly admirable. So yes, absolutely important, but realize that uh, when I was a newspaper reporter some time ago, the ability to even create a spreadsheet was uh, limited, very few reporters could create spreadsheets in the 80s and 90s. Now, many can, largely because of journalism education. So, really critical and it's core to what we're trying to do. All
0: right, so last question then is uh, how to get in touch with you. And I'm specifically thinking of people who are in brands. We mentioned we use the case of water, but how, how would a brand come to the news project and figure out a link between what's interesting to me and what you provide? Because you surely don't have 100% of all topics available yet.
1: So- well, <laughs> Not even one percent. <laughs> so uh, you know we're a startup. We're uh, we're adding our first customers now. We are finishing our financing. We still have a little bit to go in completing our seed round. So we're we're early, but open for business. And interested parties can just come to thenewsproject.net and uh, there's a place to contact us. And please do. Uh, I'm Merrill M E W R I at thenewsproject.net. So. Please write to me and to us. And we have a great team of people. We have extraordinary people, uh, actually, uh, who are passionate about this. And me and the rest of us would be happy to engage them.
0: Beautiful. Meryl, thanks for coming on the show. I put all that in the show notes. And I look forward to seeing you in New York soon.
1: Thank you, Minter. Good talking to you.
0: Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDialogue.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, Head over to iTunes to give a rating and review, but first, relax to Joss Sax's Finger Paint.
2: Oh, fill me with all your colors, any different way to rid me of the gray.